San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, everybody, my name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB, you can hear this show as it airs, and all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire, accomplished marathon runner, best-selling author, lecturer, and a family office ex- uh, expert advising several high-net-worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing great, Joe. I felt so good this last week since we had Dr. David Pfeiffer on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, yeah, I hope he got some sleep in and, and everything else. So. Exactly. Wasn't he terrific? Amazing stuff. Yeah, I think we're going to have to have more more uh, medical uh, segments and maybe a, a show with uh, him on more often. Who knows here at KFMB? You never know. But uh, let's see. So you any runs or anything coming up that we should know about? Or? No, you know, I'm helping my wife train for the New York Marathon next month. Uh-huh. Well, early November, actually. And then you have a big tennis event coming up in Hawaii, right? Yeah, and then her women's tennis, professional tennis tournament plays during the week of Thanksgiving in Honolulu all the while. Wow, I've got to sprint back here to host fifteen or 16,000 people Thanksgiving morning for my big foundation event well, in downtown Oceanside. That's going to be a rather busy week. I should say. Well, that's music to my ears. And speaking of music, speaking of music. <laughs> we've got a really terrific guest. Uh, hasn't been on the show before, but uh, she's she, going to be now. Yeah. If, if you've heard of this, if you're familiar with the San Diego Symphony or any related or summer pops, uh, you're going to be excited to know that our guest is the CEO of the San Diego Symphony Orchestra. Her name is Martha Gilmer. Martha, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to meet both of you. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Well, I know you had a long history in Chicago, but we like to... Joe, why do we get so many guests from Chicago? I don't know. It just worked out this way. But but, uh, Martha, we usually like to find out where our guests were born and raised, educated, and um, how they got into their profession and how they found their way to San Diego. So we're going to... We'll walk that walk. Uh, Where do you want to start as far as uh, growing up? Well, it all began in a small town in Wisconsin, let's put it that way. Okay. I was uh, born in Burlington, Wisconsin, in the southeast corner, now almost a suburb of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was uh, sort of had a innate curiosity, so I started studying the piano when I was about four and a half. Now, was uh, that on your own, or did someone encourage you? Or Well, we had a piano in the home, which, you know, mm-hmm. today isn't something you take for granted. But back in the, and I can date myself, in the 1950s, mm. so many middle-class um, families would have a piano in their home. Mm-hmm. And uh, my older sister had played. The piano was a piece of furniture, as it were. And I was fascinated by it. And so it was sort of logical that I would um, sit on the bench one day and see what I could do. So age four and five, you were already enamored, right? I was. And huh. it stuck with me. And I think, you know, having, it's like learning a language at a really early age. Your brain is able to process it in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. And I learned to read music when I learned to read words. Mm. And You're not afraid of it when you start that young. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, I, it's never too late either. We, we have a piano, or we had a piano in our house when it was bigger, when we weren't empty nesters, and my son started playing at the age of four or five. He's 25 now, and music is just his passion. It's just because you could just sit down and start playing around with it. Mm-hmm. Now, Martha, did you have a teacher early on, or did you just mostly um, experiment on your own? No, I had a teacher all through my life, yeah. Mm. And teachers, in fact, I studied... I was also in the um, high school band, and so I played clarinet for a while and bassoon, so I, I learned 
multiple instruments and had really influential people in my life at that point who understood my passion for music. Mm-hmm. I also liked to um, work as a volunteer. I was really active in student government and <clears throat> doing things like City of Hope. And so I think by the time I got to college, I realized that I wasn't going to be a concert pianist, but that there would be some blending of this kind of desire to do good, to mm-hmm. do something important, to make things happen, um, as well as music. And that led to a logical conclusion. And I did a self-designed major in arts administration, music administration at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Yeah. Could we, do, we be doing more for music programs in our schools here in the county? Have you explored that much at all? And, and what are we doing for youth with regard to the symphony? Probably some, a lot of things. We're doing there. a lot of things already, but we can do more. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we're in the middle of um, examining all of our programs. The traditional way that orchestras serve Uh, young people, young students, is to have them come in as a field trip and hear the orchestra, which is great because I don't think students have any idea of what live sound sounds like. You know, we all carry these little devices and we listen to them on our headsets, but it's Mm -hmm. not the same as the physical feeling of hearing all of those musicians breathing as one or the the vibration. vibration. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there, there is a real importance in actually hearing the full orchestra live. But we also have musicians that go into schools, that teach master classes, that... Um, work with teachers, and I want to do more in teacher training, and what is arts integration is something that I really believe in. You know that when you're studying history, or for that matter, math, they all relate to music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, music is just a series of, it, it's it's um, divisible, it's, it's in beats, it's in patterns, uh, it's quarter notes are the same as, you know, 25% of the measure, and so you can actually, you can teach fractions with music, you can teach addition, subtraction, multiplication. Um, And likewise, when you're talking about history, uh, for every moment in history, there was music associated with it. Musicians were composing as in the world that they lived in. And Mm -hmm. so I'm really, we're starting um, early conversations about arts integration in our schools. I know uh, Dr. Jacobs had had gotten in touch regarding, uh, I guess, a program he and Joan are underwriting with regard to uh, music in schools and things like that. Are you familiar with that, what they're doing? or With the Long Long Foundation? I believe so. Yeah, I am familiar. In fact, I went last year and saw their new, um, they have a great new classroom mm-hmm. um, with, set, with many keyboards and kids with headsets on learning in the first and second grade. And again, this is the time to capture students' uh, awareness. It, it implants in a different way. Mm-hmm. If you wait until I mean, many times we start music uh, lessons in the fourth and fifth grade, and there are some reasons for that, too, in terms of uh, development and so forth. But exposing children at a really young age is is so great for their overall learning and their overall maturity and focus and so forth. It's yeah. I think there's a program. He's even he's even underwriting it in Boston, too, I guess. That's his home area as that's well. Right. And, um, and, and here as well, so, right? Well, and Joan and Erwin are, Jacobs are very passionate about passing on this mm-hmm. um, this art form that they love to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know when I got to town here, the uh, the symphony was you know in the mid late seventies. It was seemed to be going out of business every other month. And thank God Qualcomm came along because yeah, uh, Qualcomm was the savior <laughs> in the mid eighties. Well, and that and, is part of the orchestra's past, but its present is so bright. And mm-hmm. you know, it's always interesting. I when I first got here, I've been here two years now. The first several months, I spent a lot of time listening to mm-hmm. people from San Diego as to what they what they thought about us, what they what their perceptions were of the orchestra, and what 
they wanted out of a symphony orchestra. And a lot of what we've done since then has been responsive to what we heard in, in those days. Mm -hmm. but what was your motivation for moving 2,000 miles to the west, though? Because I know you had a very successful run in Chicago. Well, we're going to talk more in detail about that, too, because you have the rich history with Chicago. But, uh, yeah, 35 years, and then uh, were, you re were you recruited, or uh, did you? <laughs> Get tired of cold winters? What's the story? Yeah, everyone assumes the weather had a lot to do with it. But, in fact, it doesn't matter what orchestra you're working for. You're going to be inside most of the time anyhow because it's it's passionate work. It's It's deep commitment, and... I don't get out into the bright sunlight very often. Um, when I do, I appreciate it. And mm -hmm. yet what I really saw here was great potential. This orchestra is made up of some fantastic individual players who have studied at the best music schools and who have been cultivated in these last 13 years since Yahya Ling has been music director, and many, of course, predate that. But their artistry, when I heard them, made such an impact. And I thought, here is actually a some this orchestra deserves to be known better. Mm -hmm. They're already well known, but they deserve to have an even larger would you uh, say awareness of our public. Would you say we're one of the best in the country? Absolutely. You know, okay. the, the level that we are training musicians in this country means that our orchestras can play at a really high level. And, and I love the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I will always have them in my heart. I spent a lot of my life there. But you don't have to go to a major city to hear music making at a really high level and mm -hmm. San Diego Symphony is an absolute example of that. Mm -hmm. That's good. We'll talk more about oh, there's classical gas for Martha Gilmer, CEO of San Diego Symphony Orchestra. We'll be right back with more conversation with her after these words. Wow. How do you like that, Richard? We're back I with love it. Martha Gilmer, CEO of the San Diego Symphony Orchestra. We thought we'd get a little classy here and play a little classical for Martha and the symphony and everybody involved. So Martha, um, grew up in Wisconsin. We have to find out, I guess, where you went to, you got your education and then your, your, your work in Chicago and how that all translates over to here. So, um, so after Northwestern. We, we were back, we were started with piano lessons as a four-year-old. So we no, had we, we'd a, gotten we got, all the way to Northwestern. Did we get to Northwestern yet? No, okay, let's get, to, all right, so Northwestern. What after that? Well, I graduated from Northwestern, but part of my undergraduate education was doing internships mm. in the arts because the best way to learn is actually by doing. And mm. one of them was at the, um, there was a brand new concert hall on campus mm -hmm. called Pickstager Concert Hall. And I became the concert manager there, which meant I oversaw the student work team. Um, so if I forgot to tell them to put a piano on stage for a rehearsal, I had to push it out myself. So <laughs> you, you learn that very quickly. Whatever needed to get done, you were there. That's <laughs> right. So let me, had a makeshift box office and we counted ticket stubs and, you know, and, and kind of ran it from the ground up. There was nothing in place when it opened. So that was one of the uh, two positions I had. And then I did my internship with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was in the late 70s when George Schulte was their music director. Mm. He'd been there about 10 years. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I guess this is what I was talking about a little earlier about an undiscovered or a not well-known truth. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra under Fritz Reiner, one of the great music directors in its history, was somewhat secret. You would know it through recordings, but they had never toured. They played in Chicago, and Reiner wasn't interested in touring. So the first thing George Schulte did is he took the orchestra on a six-week tour of Europe. Mm. And suddenly, the world heard, live again, as we were talking, live this incredible instrument. 
And so it was at the height of this time that I came in and I literally sat on the floor and filed papers and I answered the switchboard and I wrote an article for the um, education newsletter for young children and and just kind of learned what it was to run an orchestra. I was so lucky to have an internship, with then, which then turned into a summer job, and um, I got to know the staff, how they worked. I worked with the volunteers, and of course I got to know the musicians and then the guest artists. So out of that, after graduation, I took a little trip north to Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra, and then a job came up in Chicago, and I came straight back and spent really... 35 years in that role, which so, evolved over the years, but ended up with the title of Vice President for Artistic Planning and Audience Development. Did you get to travel with the symphony yes. orchestra as well? all oh, over the neat. world. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was great. How come is it, in, I think in Europe and Asia, it seems that there's a greater either public appreciation or demand uh, comparatively. Now, I don't know the numbers or whatnot, but it seems like it's more universally accepted in, in Europe, uh, classical music, than here. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Or? Well, Schulte would have said to me in those early days, my dear, your, or your country is still a young country. Mm. And, of course, many of the composers that we think of as the canon of classical music and and. I'm very clear about the fact that we play a wide range and genre of music, the San Diego Symphony, and mm -hmm. I think that's important to know. Mm -hmm. But that canon, we just heard Beethoven, as a matter of fact, um, came out of the great tradition of Europe, and so it's logical that the opera houses and the concert halls were built there mm -hmm. and eventually were built in this country. But I have to say, having traveled all over the world, um, I've seen areas where the arts are becoming appreciated. Look at China, for instance, mm -hmm. where concert halls are being built every year, and yet where the audiences are still learning about the music. And you might have the Chicago Symphony on stage and still not have a full hall. In Shanghai and Beijing, they could be sold out for months. But huh. in some of these smaller places, they're coming along. And so the art form continues to be relevant. We continue to bring new audiences in. And it's a process whether you're on the continent of Europe or if, or if you're in China or Japan. Um, certainly Japan embraced classical music very early on. Mm -hmm. And many orchestras had long residencies in that, in that country. Uh, it spurned some of the great music education in that country, some of the great artists today, um, but, for but sure. There's but, but there's another thing that goes along, I think, hand in hand with the arts or great art, and that is the art of philanthropy. And I know one of the challenges in some developing countries is that philanthropy is simply not really integrated into the culture yet. And so I think it discourages great art. Well, and that brings up the whole subject, of course, of government subsidy versus individual mm -hmm. philanthropy and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, you know, there were times when all of us were so envious of the government subsidies available in Europe. However, when the government has to cut back, there's no, there's no, right, right, there's foundation no safety to fall back. Net. Right, exactly. Uh, and so with our system in this country of being able to make personal choices as to where you um, sh share your time, talent, and wealth, it gives us as institutions a much broader and, in, and personal way of connecting to that. But you're providing a lot of great and varied programs. I'm looking at your website, sandiegosymphony.org, folks, if you want to get over there. But uh, everything from this Fox Theater film series uh, to the Pops concerts, which is a kind of a combination uh, classical and popular music, generally, right? Correct. And then, uh, and then, of course, the, the the classical programs themselves at Symphony Hall, et cetera. But um, 
tell us a little bit about some of these different things, like the, the film series. People well, don't have no idea that this goes on. A symphony orchestra with... Uh, playing with the film the, score. Yeah. Well, and, you know, <laughs> remember that many of our film composers are classically trained. Mm-hmm. They love uh, classical music. Let's just take the most obvious example, and that's John, John Williams. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, John would probably admit that he borrows inspiration from great composers like Richard Strauss when he's writing his film for Superman, for instance. And someone um, recently, when talking about John's, John Williams' Star Wars, his entire output of the music for Star Wars, said it's really like his Ring Cycle, the great opera cycle written by Richard Wagner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that John's use of theme and melody, his understanding of orchestration, and his, uh, his challenge that he gives to an orchestra to express and, their, and, and show their technical prowess mm-hmm. is what makes everyone respond. And there's, this is another great introduction for young people, as we were talking earlier, because suddenly they realize a, an orchestra was playing that music when I watched the film, mm-hmm. when it was recorded, and now I get to see them and hear them live. And a lot of people don't know, a lot of popular artists you know, started with classical, the Beatles uh, early on started with classical oh. training. I think uh, Elton John may have. Well, and, listen to uh, Abbey, Ro- uh, Abbey Lane and um, Abbey Road and, and the piccolo solo and mm. Penny Lane, I'm Penny sorry. Lane. Penny, yeah. Penny yeah. Lane and Abbey Road. But you listen to that piccolo solo is inspired by the Brandenburg concertos and use of that instrument. Yeah. So we well, have Shostakovich. When you listen to Shost- music of Shostakovich, he was a film composer. He composed uh, for piano and accompanied film himself and then um, wrote for film scores. And his music has that that film quality. I once was listening to one of his symphony or symphonies and then switched immediately to Hitchcock, The Birds, and you have the same strident, you know, string uh-huh, sound. Uh-huh. So... That's a way of people saying, oh, I actually do understand this music. It has yeah. relevance for me. Well, Arthur Feather, they did a, when he was with, with the Boston Pops Orchestra, I didn't, be, I didn't believe this, but he actually said the Beatles have written some really classical to, classic tunes, and uh, he did a whole album of, of Beatles music with the, with the Boston Pops Orchestra, which I thought was pretty cool. So uh, that can get young people excited about, about classical music, I think, and get them introduced to it. Well, in, and in, in my nice criteria way. is always that the music has to be excellent. Mm. The music has to be created by people who are, you know, superior musicians. So it matches the artistry of our, our musicians. When mm-hmm. when the musicians are just playing whole notes in the background, that's not why they went to conservatory. And so you'd mentioned our summer series, um, mm-hmm. which we have renamed Bayside Summer Nights this mm-hmm. year. Um, and I think we had one of the most successful summers ever. Mm. And people commented, first of all, we did a lot to improve the sound mm-hmm. quality out there with um, new amplification and better direction in terms of, um, of <clears throat> interpreting or reflecting the real sound of the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the artists that we brought all respect the high quality of the orchestra they're singing with. They understand what the level is. Bernadette Peters, for instance, spoke eloquently about how fine the orchestra is. Mm. Um, Seth MacFarlane, others. Yeah. And so that integrity... It doesn't matter what kind of music you're playing. It matters that it has integrity. Mm, outstanding. And we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back with Martha Gilmer, CEO of the Sengo Symphony Orchestra, discussing more about the season and the future of the symphony and a lot of exciting stuff. Hang on. All right, we're back. 
back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Joe, some show, I'm going to do the sponsors backwards, but not this <laughs> just to see if I can do it. Anyway, big thank you to UBS and Michael Caranta. Could not do the show without UBS, also our favorite CPAs on the planet. Jason Kruger, CPA with Signature Analytics, a great CFO service firm. Also, more traditional CPAs, Polito Epic in San Marcos, California, Don Epic and Paul Polito. Also, our great friend Joel Gruskin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Brenda Geiger, the Geiger Law Office. Brenda, of course, specializes in estate planning and asset protection. Now, with all this money these people save you, how about you bank it at California Republic Bank, a great niche market bank serving wealthy families and family offices, Lane Elliott and Sean Puckett. Also, Hub International, formerly known as Mars Maddox Insurance with Neil Staley, a great employee benefits firm. Open enrollment is coming up for a lot of folks on December 1. Check out Hub International. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, headed up by Paul Pines. Paul, of course, leads the senior safeandsound.org initiative here in San Diego, helping to prevent financial elder abuse. Our favorite mortgage broker, Nathan Watkins. Interest rates are at all-time lows. Great time to buy or refinance. Also, two new sponsors, Two Bears Ranch. Check out the website for Two Bears Ranch. Carl Sheeler, of course, is a previous sponsor, is a business valuation expert, now starting a charity in Colorado to bring equine therapy to veterans suffering from PTSD. And our most recent sponsor, Michelle St. Clair with Elite Lifestyle Management and a unique and different need that you need to have met, Elite Lifestyle Management. They've been a great help to me with all of my strange travels around the country with my Mary Kay case. Places like Indian Reservations and Durango, Colorado, places that are hard to get and all kinds of other great things, Elite Lifestyle Management. And Joe, if you're getting hungry listening to the show, we can solve that need as well. How do we do that? Well, there's the Very Good Food Foundation with, headed up by Michelle ciccarelli Lirac, that does great work year-round with regards to sustainability and food. And there's the Patio Group uh, headed up by Gina Champion-Kane with their great locations, the Patio on Lamont Street and also the Patio on Goldfinch up in Mission Hills. Fireside Liberty Station, Harvest is opening downtown, the Patio in Left Field, the Petco Park and Saskas and, and a variety of other places and, and services and food that they offer. Terrific. And then also the Stats Coffee Houses in Normal Heights, University Heights, and now in Hillcrest. Uh, always busy. Open 24-7, 365. And speaking of great music. That's right. They've got music on, on uh, Adams Avenue all the time there. Matter of fact, the Adams Avenue uh, last weekend in September is coming up, too. The, street, the Adams Avenue Street Fair, which is one of the largest out outdoor i think they have about six seven stages i don't know Shoot. but uh, but there you go and anyway if folks want to get over to our website at iymoney.com and there's a sponsor tab and a drop down menu you can learn all about our sponsors there and i know they've all been working with richard for many many years with uh, great success many of them right richard in some cases decades <laughs> but, it pains me to say that but, but, but in a good way but who's counting but anyway, speaking, getting back to music and our guest. Great food and great music go together. Yeah, Martha Gilmer. Uh, the website, sandiegosymphony.org. Folks, you got to get over there and, and see what's going on. Of course, the uh, let's talk about the gala that's coming up, uh, Opus. Uh, when, tell us about that, uh, Martha. October 8th mm-hmm. is our gala, Opus Gala. You know, it's one of the really fun evenings of the year. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's kicking off the season, and there are so many different ways you can participate. There, mm-hmm. And if you go to the website, you can see the whole menu. Mm-hmm. But there is a very beautiful pre-concert dinner. Mm-hmm. You can buy seats at tables at, at the, the University U- Club. Mm-hmm. 
uh, followed by the concert, and then afterwards there's an after party in which all the musicians of the orchestra take put on their party dresses mm-hmm. instead of their stage attire, and there are different stations and different types of food and drink and bands and music throughout the university club. Mm-hmm. And for those people, I think this is one of the great deals. You get the concert and post-concert package, um, and it is such a fun night. Mm-hmm. And you get the it's great really view. Great. And you have a spectacular view. You can get to know the musicians. They love being there, as well as you know our um, loyal donors are with us as well. But it is really, really fun. And the concerts with Michael Feinstein Michael and Feinstein. Cheyenne Jackson. Right. Broadway tunes and the orchestra also playing um, kind of, we would talk about film music. There's some film music involved with orchestra alone. And then, of course, the great Michael Feinstein. So you make a whole night of it. Cocktail reception, 5 o'clock in the lobby, Symphony Towers, right? Go upstairs for dinner, University Club uh, for the gala dinner, and 8 o'clock concert, and then back up then and party into the wee hours, right? It's great. <laughs> and, you know, black tie is possible, but there are going to be people there in what you know, whatever you want. It, it isn't. You don't have to think of it only as an elite event. Black tie means a little bit different thing than it does in a lot of other places in the country. Here in San Diego, we're creative. Maybe, we're very creative. Maybe something out of Downton Abbey. Who knows? Exactly right. <laughs> but Shire. it's a fun evening. I bet Darlene Shirley dresses up uh, with something interesting if, if she's go, if she's going to make it this and year. She better valet park because you cannot <laughs> open those car doors in <laughs> that parking garage. Trust me. <laughs> those, That's right. Those wings. But uh, other, well, your season's starting. Uh, you want to tell us about the season coming up? Well, let's let's start with the fact that this is the legacy season for Yahya Leng. Mm-hmm. Yahya Leng has been music director of this orchestra. This is his 13th season. Mm-hmm. And he begins the season and ends the season with um, artists that he's worked so closely with. Mm. Um, Gil Shaham, the violinist, in our opening week. Uh, and then ending with Yefim Bronfman, pianist, in the closing week of the season. And this will be... Uh, Season of great nostalgia, you know, as I said earlier, Yahya really, first of all, with his colleagues in the orchestra as part of the audition process, brought these musicians here and then created a sound of this orchestra. But he also kept them here. (coughs) And he kept them here. And he he created who they are, how they sound. And I I think that um, the orchestra owes a tremendous amount to Yahya Ling, and we will be doing a lot of celebrating as the year goes but on. But even though he's going away, he's not going away Correct. entirely. He's, he's becoming music director um, emeritus, as a matter of fact, yes. Outstanding. So how many concerts does, would that consist of, and he, when would they start? Uh, so he'll be conducting five weeks this current year, mm-hmm. in sixteen seventeen, and from that point on he'll um, conduct two weeks a season mm. um, with us. So we, we are going to continue to be able to hear his music making. This year we have 11 guest conductors coming, Hmm. Uh, we are looking for a new music leadership, so some of these conductors are certainly coming with the full understanding that they would be considered as the next music director. Kind of an Pressure's audition. on. Kind of on addition. <laughs> so, you know, we started already last year. We had nine guest conductors, and mm-hmm. I think our audiences have so responded to the, the kind of change every week and listening to how the orchestra responds. Everybody's got their opinion. Uh, but it also, everybody, um, each conductor brings a different perspective, and also their uh, particular interest in programming. Hmm. And one of the things we heard early on is from our audiences is please don't take away those pieces that we know we love. So, of course, this year we have Beethoven Ninth and we have Tchaikovsky Fourth and, and all of those works that are kind of the core of repertoire. But at the same time, we heard people saying, give us a push. Give us some new things. We want to mm-hmm. hear some new music. So one of our most popular programs has both. Um, one of our top-selling concerts right now is um, John Adams, 
Dr. Atomic, based on his opera about Robert Oppenheimer hmm. and the creation of the atomic bomb. Really? We had to get the... On the first half, and the second half is Holtz, the Planets. Mm. What's the date for that? Because I've got to tell uh, William Lam- Lanowet, Bill Lanowet about yeah, that. Yeah, we did one. a show about yeah. that. Yeah. Let me look that up. I think it is in December. Okay. December... Three and four. All right. I'm going to let Bill know about that today. So. And, in fact, we were talking, a good friend and colleague is Greg Lemke from the Salk Institute. And mm-hmm. Greg is recording a little spot for our website talking about science and music and the intricate connections. And so mm. we're, this is where we form partnerships and you have different perspectives. What I really believe important is that audience members understand that the person sitting next to them has a life some of them in music, but often has a life of other interests and finds music critically important to them. And the understanding why is the interesting part, right? And so Greg, as a scientist, is passionate about music and wants to share that. Mm, And I think, you know, you were listing all of your wonderful supporters, some of whom I have met, and I'm just always struck by what interesting people live in this city Mm -hmm. and getting to know them, and they're, they're intellectually curious, and they're Many of them are coming to our hall for the first time uh, with some of this new programming we're offering. Music in the brain. I'm sure there's plenty out there, TED Talks, and and, um, right. and I guess you're exploring that yourself a little bit, right? Well, and, music and, and healing. You were yeah. talking about medicine earlier. Theory, I think that you know, music has incredible power in healing, and that's just now being discovered, and that's an area that we're also going to be investing in. Hmm. Outstanding. Know, certainly, yeah. Well, we're going to take a little break right now, folks. Meditate, because I hear music. Meditate on that. We'll come back with Martha Gilmer, CEO of the San Diego Symphony Orchestra, right after this. Hang on. Ah, there we go. There you go, Joe. Really classy. That's for Martha Gilmer, CEO, San Diego Symphony, and all of you music lovers out there. Martha, welcome back. Gosh, uh, I'm looking at the website, sandiegosymphony.org, and I see Jacob's Masterworks series, the Fox Theater Film series, the Family Concerts, and Jazz at the Jacob's. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start at the end of that sentence. Let's start with Jazz at the Jacob's. Okay. Uh, This is our second season of uh, Friday Night Jazz concerts, Hmm. and this is usually without the orchestra, although I'm going to tell you about a special concert that ends that series. Uh, we've been partnering with the great local trumpet player, but he's national in scope, of course, and that's Gilbert Castellanos. Mm-hmm. And he has been the curator for this series. He also curated a program this summer at Bayside Summer Nights. And it's a mixture of, uh, of artists throughout the, throughout the year. We start with the Count Basie Orchestra. You know what? Sinatra. I'm going to take a bow for that one because I did count. I contacted the Count Basie Orchestra and said, when are you coming back to San Diego? And that was several months ago. So it's happening, and this is exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> it's really, we're looking at women in jazz. And then on April 29th, uh, Gil has put together a big band, and he's going to do the Strayhorn, the, the, the um, Ellington Strayhorn arrangement of Pierre Gint. Hmm. They did two suites of classical music arranged for jazz orchestra. Um, one is the Nutcracker Suite, and the other is Pier Gint. And so they will do the movements of the Pier Gint in the Ellington arrangement, and the orchestra oh. will be on stage and will do the original Grieg alternating. And that's so you hear the orchestral and the jazz. That's January 14th? April 29th. Or April sorry. 20th, I'm April sorry. April 29th. Okay. Outstanding. So that's a great series. So many and great then things. Family concerts. Mm hmm. Again, here's an opportunity to bring your young children with you. You get to enjoy the concert with them and, and talk about it afterwards. And it, it's um, an opportunity to introduce 
children to music. The programs are less than an hour long. If your children wiggle, that's absolutely fine. You should move to music. Mm-hmm. You don't have to just sit still. Crying um, babies are fine, right? Absolutely. And you know, <laughs> we start with the with probably with the best known piece uh, in the repertoire of family programming, and that's Peter and the Wolf. And mm. it's a four concert series, including a holiday uh, concert uh, designed for families. Again, that one hour length. So I love those. Those are on Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. October twenty three, December, February. I think the last one's and the best. April Some time. Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. The Sneetches is a great piece. <laughs> and, um, of course, in this city, I packed all my Dr. Seuss books when I was coming to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And now I understand them so much better when I live in the fauna of this region. Um, well, it has new meaning. Of course, you know Dr. Seuss wrote, fifty, I think, 54 to 60 books here up I on know. Mount Celia. And we, we, know I who know. Got, we know who got that plaque. We, yeah, we put a plaque up at La Valencia La back Valencia. a few years ago. We'll, years we'll tell ago. you more about that, but that was a great great afternoon. But the Sneetch is one of the all-time great anti-discrimination stories in history. Most people don't think it's serious, but it is. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's an excellent point because the, the Peter and the Wolf – we know, mm-hmm. but Peter and the Wolf is pre-war, right? right? The right. Wolf is not right. just the animal; it's the approach. And so, right. through these pieces, there is something there for adults as well. Mm-hmm. And I think really well-constructed programs has something for your child and for you. Hmm. And by the way, I say parents, but grandparents and aunts and uncles will do as well. <laughs> this is great. Were you doing this in Chicago too, or is this yes. a, okay? So you're bringing a lot of these, a lot of your Chicago um, uh, programs here, which. Uh, Probably wonderful. Most people appreciate it. So, um, and of course, the Jacobs Masterworks concert series—that's the all the classical music, right? It is, but you know, it has a lot of um, texture in it as well. And I, I just want to say that what we started last year in January is a January festival with a theme. Last year, we did a whole festival around piano mm-hmm. as the as an instrument through jazz and as soloist and with the orchestra and so forth. We had pianos in public spaces around the city, and it had, a real, it, it had a real buzz about it. This year, we're really exploring American music, and it's music made in America. So composers like, you know, like the Hollywood composers that came mm-hmm. from Europe during the war um, and created music here that took on American sounds and roots and influences. So we have American Variations, a festival of music made in America, the entire month of January, and I'd invite you to go on our website because it has concerts with orchestra, without orchestra. It's got one of the signature um, uh, concerts that I brought from San Diego called Beyond the Score, which is a live documentary about a single piece of music, and Mm -hmm. we're doing two next year, Dvorak, who, of course, the New World Symphony is about his time in America, Mm. and Charles Ives, a quintessential American composer, insurance salesman by day, composer by night. right. It's a fascinating story, and, and you spend a whole hour with the orchestra on stage, narrator and actors. In fact, it's a husband and wife that did it in Chicago, and we're going to bring them out here. They spent time in Ives' home. They're fantastic, and, and you learn through his own writings and words in a, in a through written script, brilliantly by Jared McBurney, creative director, about why Ives, where Ives got these influences. What was he thinking when he put the music together? And suddenly when you hear, and, the mu- and the orchestra plays excerpts, but when you hear the whole piece in the second half, it has a different impact because you've been able to learn, as, as, as I always say, in 3D. Mm. And when is the date of that concert um, or, or the dates? The dates. So the Ives, Beyond the Score, is Saturday, January 28th. There we go. Okay. And the Dvorak, Beyond the Score, is in oh, November. There we, go. there we go. 
Yeah, it's all on the website there. Yeah. If you go to the through the uh, Jacob. But something website. else is really neat. It's on the website, Joe. That would be the band shell. <coughs> oh yes, we have to talk about. We the, have to talk about the new developments for the new for the, um, the summer pop. New developments band show. and new developments. A lot of people don't know this. When when did, when was this uh, developed, uh, Martha? Give us some history. Well, as you all know, we've been at the um, Embarcadero Marina Park South in residence over the summers for the past for ten plus years mm-hmm. with a temporary kind of a rock band stage mm-hmm. and portable bathrooms and concessions. And we kind of create this village every year in May. Kind of makeshift. We open in yeah. June and we tear it down. They finish the last um, Kind of like a tent city. Elements. It is a little <laughs> bit like that. But well before I got here, um, the leadership of this orchestra thought it would be great to have a permanent site on that on that um, property. And so we are in, I would not call it early stages, I would hopefully call it middle stages of preparation for a permanent venue on that site. We have design, we have partners in place, um, we are in the midst of a conversation because it's Portland and it would be a port lease, um, 66 year or a long term lease uh, by the port and we really hope to keep that process. We had January 12th, we got a green light from the port to go to the next phase of planning, which is where we are now. I know the port commissioners are, and staff are very excited about it, and so we're working through the um, details of getting that done. Mm. So, I mean, we have to thank Dr. Erwin Jacobs, Joan Jacobs, for all their generosity and leadership and guidance. Um, I see that uh, Joan is head of the foundation board, right? And, Absolutely. Um, but in and many, many San Diegans right. who support our orchestra right. uh, on an annual basis and legacy gifts Mm-hmm. Um, in contributions to the foundation and in and through you know added money as they or added contribution as they purchase tickets, mm-hmm. as you well know, philo- philanthropically we can only live with support from donors. Well, the, um, the orchestra certainly has evolved to to a lofty level, and um, it's I mean, a real treasure of San Diego. I mean, of course, there's New York, Chicago, and um, Los Angeles, but you know we're right up there, aren't we? Wouldn't yes, you say? we are. Yeah. And then, um, and of course, other cities, you know, should be proud of their their symphonies as well. Uh, maybe some of the lesser known ones that you can tell people about. I mean, is there tech, Texas, right, has some good symphony and absolutely. I, you know, I think a major symph- a major city needs an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so, when you work down the coast from Seattle to um, Portland to San Francisco to Los Angeles, San Diego. Um, those are ma- the orchestras that represent those cities. Mm-hmm. And of course, Chicago and St. Louis and Minnesota and um, Minneapolis and Detroit. But we certainly have catapulted <laughs> over the, like I said, R- Richard, you remember back in the early days, I mean, they were in trouble, our symphony here for, for a long time. And then uh, it's just in the last, what, 20, 30 years, it's really. As I said, it's a San Diego treasure. It's gotten wonderful. Martha Gilmer, CEO. Martha, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, and look forward to seeing you. Thank you. SanDiegoSymphony.org, folks. Richard, great seeing you. Justin Hart, our board engineer, thanks for making it sound terrific. Thanks to Craig Blanke, our account executive, and to Dave Sniff, our programming genius here at KFMB. All these podcasts are commercial-free on IYMoney.com. You have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.